0: Man, you going to make everybody up there
1: a while Your farts taste great. The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now... It's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin.
2: Alright, we're back. It's that time. Welcome back everybody to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Your host Jay. Just Jay. Just Jay. Here with Scott 1T. Hello. And Bebo 12E's. How's it going, Bevo? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Off to a great start with you today, Bevo. <laughs>
3: Did you notice how she was so eager to jump in on time that she slammed her mouth into her mic and it made a rustling noise? She had lurched forward onto it.
2: Well, we've been instructed, all of
3: us, yeah, I, studio, I, I, to be right up on the mic. very microphone. clearly
2: heard the instructions on how to speak into the microphone. Yeah. So I'm just doing my part and being a good example to our guests. Good.
3: Yeah, lead by example.
2: Yeah. Okay, I'm done with you now. There you go. And speaking of our guests... You know, I think the last few shows I've neglected to kind of off the top say who's on the show, but I won't do that today because they're all staring at me right now, and I know them all very well. It's the entire production team from The Rare Barrel. How's it going, everybody, all at once? Hey! <gasps> yeah, really excited group of people here.
3: <laughs> Mike Clark, Aaron, Tommy, Rob, and Stefan. Yes. And, of course, Just Jay. They're and Just leader.
2: Jay. Happy to have the whole team here tonight. Uh, We're going to answer some questions, get into some topics, update you guys on what's been going on at the Rare Barrel. And it's, it's great to have the whole team here because they really do all the work, honestly. So they know a lot more about what's going on than even I do because they're doing all the hard work. So I'm happy to have these guys here with us tonight. That, that's how
3: you know that you've truly arrived as a, a professional brewer, is when you don't know what's going on in your brew house any longer. I have
2: no idea. Yeah. You're drinking one of our beers? I don't even know what's in it. I don't know what it's called. You t- it I've never seen that me. beer before. It was
3: explained <laughs> to me by one of your lackeys what's yes. in it. Yeah, so I I know and you don't. <laughs> Stefan's a lackey.
2: You heard it first. <laughs> so uh, if you want to join in calling uh, Stefan a lackey, you can contact us, 888-401-BEER. Uh, that's on a telephone, Just just so you know. So don't, like type it into your web browser or anything like that it's not working yeah yeah telephone 888 401 beer join us in the chat uh during the week or during the month the weeks leading up to the show you can always email scott scott with two t's at the brewing com. actually just put the two t's in there don't say the whole thing out at the Brewing Network dot com. You know,
3: people are like regularly addressing e- email to me this way now. Yeah. They, they The first line of their email, either they misspell the name or they say something about it in the first line of the email. A- every correspondence without exception.
2: There you it's go. It's all really great.
3: Thanks, yeah. Jay.
2: Well, I, it's, it's partly your attitude towards it. You know, it's like you've clearly said you don't <laughs> like it. So people are going to be all about it. I'm getting some emails, Jay with two Ys. You Perfect. Know? I just, okay. That just rolls right off, you know. Great. I just keep, keep on trucking. So don't worry about that. But we love getting emails from you guys. We're going to read a lot of them on the show today, trying to answer some questions about sour beer making. Um, you can also watch us. We're on the uh, webcam right now. Everybody wave. That was pretty weak. Uh, <laughs> Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> you guys two. great. It's up there on that oh. TV up there, and then there's one pointed at Jay's face. Wow. Yeah, don't
3: wave it. I'll wave it. What out. about the one at my face, Peeve? You don't use that one?
1: I don't put you on. Why not?
3: You're too pretty. You have yeah. a
1: voice for radio. I'm oh, yeah, sorry, you have a face oh, for radio. Oh,
3: nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, Peeve. Yeah, thanks, Peeve.
2: So, yeah, watch us. Thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. And then I still haven't added this to my little list of things to say, but also just get the app. That does stuff, too. Right, Scott? The, the mobile app, the Brewing Network mobile app. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's free,
3: and you can listen to the shows all the damn time.
2: It's good. Get it. Also, uh, you can subscribe to the show via iTunes or whatever pod-waving application you guys have. Uh, we appreciate when you guys leave us uh, some ratings and feedback, stuff like that. We read it. We appreciate it. Um, and we appreciate you guys listening tonight. So... <clears throat> Excuse me. A couple of things we're going to do on the show tonight. We're going to answer some questions. We've got the whole team here. Uh, Also, a little bit later, we're going to be talking to our good friend, Dr. Lambic, about his newest article on sourbeerblog.com, which is all about sour beer blending. So it's kind of perfect timing. He came out with his article. We got all the guys here who do the blending at the Rare Barrel on the show. So it'll be great to hear kind of his thoughts, and then we can kind of get into a good conversation, react to all that stuff, and, and try and... Just come out the other side with some best practices on sour beer blending.
3: I'm looking forward to the uh, amateur homebrewers schooling the room full of professionals on techniques.
2: Well, look at this. I printed out his article. It's right here. It's 14 pages long printed out. It's very extensive, and it's really good stuff. That's kind of how all of his articles are. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it yet, Scott, but his fast souring with lacto, carbonation, how that affects sour beers. It's all, you know, he doesn't go on like a quick, you know, couple paragraph post. It's, you know. Like I said, obviously, fourteen pages long. He'll have a lot to talk about. I think he said uh, someone he uh, does brewing with is going to join us as well. I
3: think did he said. Did he say it, he didn't use the term brewing partner? It was something. It was like an underling or some t- some. <laughs> it, uh, let me look at up. He, it was fun, maybe it was apprentice.
2: <laughs> I, I think I think he regards him as an equal from the email that I read. <laughs> really? But yeah, we'll see. see. Um, while Scott's looking that up i wanted to mention a few things oh no
3: you're right see he did say my brewing and blending partner kale and in my head i just i assume kale sounds like the name of a millennial he must be like his intern <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, I, I, clearly my thinking is messed up so forgive me
2: well i'm just giving you a heads up right now so you don't last, laugh later his last name is smoothie just don't no. laugh really yeah, no, he's no, a just, super <laughs> i would have
3: believed you he's a superfood
2: yeah um, one thing I wanted to get into at the top of the show was something, an event that's coming up, which is the BN, air quotes, Winter Brews Fest.
0: I, be... uh... I think we are
4: officially calling it Spring Brew Fest.
3: What happened to Winter slash Spring? I thought that had some traction.
4: I was going for Sprinter, but nobody oh, yeah. seemed to back that <laughs> up.
3: That was the... No, I did. I spoke up for you. Did I not? You,
4: you know what? You did. Yes, I apologize. You yeah. did. But I think it's going to say Winter slash Spring, but we are calling it Spring But it is still the 8th annual, 7th annual? 7th. 7th annual.
3: 7th
2: annual festival hosted by the Brewing Network Sprinter Fest. In the Toto Santos Square. Same location, yeah. We'll be there. Rare Barrel. beer. We uh, have enjoyed that festival very much over the past uh, few years. And by enjoyed, I mean gotten drunk there. So it's a great great place. There's a lot of great beers. So come out it's right off bart and it's a fun time it's going to be really nice out probably too hopefully
3: was it well this actually ironically this is the year it'll rain mm, all the january yeah. uh, good luck we've had and then it'll it'll just be teeming i'm sure in april
2: i do remember on one of uh justin's rants on the session that he was talking about oh now of course the super bowl is going to be a beautiful day because right. that's what kicked us out which indeed it was and it was it was a gorgeous day mm-hmm. and then yeah it's going to rain but it's the date is april second that's right
3: yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, Saturday, April second. Yeah. Now it's been. Was it Alex's birthday that kept coinciding with the event? Is that right?
2: Yeah. When it was still winter, Bruce Fest. We it was Alex's birthday one year, so we just got a whole bunch of friends out there, and we just got after it. To that be is uh,
3: rare barrel co-founder Tall Alex, and so he doesn't. Is there an we event? We got his
2: parents to pour beer for us. <laughs> <while> well, were, <laughs> we we're out just drinking beer.
3: I think that's <laughs> the ultimate goal in life. To have your parents pour beer for That's you while you party,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, if you knew uh, Alex's parents and some of the people here do, you know they are—they're all about the rare barrel. They're our best ambassadors. You know, you go, you show up at a party that uh, Al and Joanne are at. And I'll start walking around, and someone's oh, hey, are you Jay? Yeah, hey, nice to meet you. By the way, I met Alex's parents. Yeah. They are just the best. Actually,
3: and your parents, too, for that matter, Jay. <laughs> uh, you're, uh, or no, it was Alex's mom that was regaling me with stories of, uh, she's like, oh, yeah, I was a commercial airline pilot. Yeah, it's like, Joanne. Yeah, you were? And I, I think I had about a million questions for her, and we sat around until 2 in the morning talking about her being a pilot.
2: That sounds about right. Awesome. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, if, you, if that interests you, come by the BN Sprinter Brews Fest, April 2nd. We'll be there rare barrel getting drunk uh, what else do we have I'll do a quick recap of our recent show um, and then maybe we can dive into some questions before uh, taking a, a beer break I see these guys they're they're really getting ready to just flow out with lots of juicy rare barrel information but first they got a drink you know a couple I think of Bevo
5: is actually getting us more beer so okay that's excellent perfect
2: did she did she see my hand up for one? <laughs> One, oh, one, point.
3: maybe we can send Alex's parents
2: to get you one. Jim. Oh yeah, please, <laughs> please, please. Yeah. Um, last show we had, uh, James Howitt from black project slash, uh, former future. And that was an excellent show. Uh, we had some, we, it was slightly marred by China. Interference. It, just China. Yeah. Martin, period. yeah China in general. Uh, James was kind enough to call us from vacation with his dad in China. And, uh, you know they just didn't want his awesome information about spontaneous fermentation getting out to the world
3: well all think about it i mean if the, if enough information gets out uh, we will finally as a country be able to compete with chinese sour beer and they don't want that
2: oh they certainly don't no. because it's so good they don't release it to the rest of the world exactly. they keep it all for themselves i think they sent some, the some to country. north
3: korea but other than that they don't distribute it at all
2: they've the- actually got the world's greatest sour beer brewer North Korea? Yeah. oh yeah? He just happens to run the country, too. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's, so it's an amazing coincidence. Now. Yes, he is. Yeah. and yes, he, he is the greatest. He also uh, won the dunk contest. I don't know if you watched the NBA. I
3: did see that, and yes, he won. Yes. It wasn't even close. He looked really good in his pantsuit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> awesome super cut. Um, I, think,
3: I think it's the show sounded decent. Uh, I, after I cleaned yeah, it up, yeah. it sounded all right. It, yeah, but, did a good but job. But it did get cut short. I wanted to fill out more of the second uh, uh, the. A second hour with him, and un- unfortunately, it just it didn't work out. So we'll have to have him back.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it's like the second show you've produced. Oh yeah, so far, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, you got Rudy on.
3: Yes, I did. That
2: was a get, and then now you uh, you cleaned up this show. So good on you. Thanks. The rest of it's all me. Yeah, yeah I'm running the board. Scott's not really even looking. He's jotting some. Notes down on post its, Bevo's streaming Amazon movies. You know, it's just a big. It's a
3: well, I just figure I, I I built the studio and then I can just do just that. Check thing, out. The blackjack dealer at the end of the shift, uh, and then everyone yeah. else can do the rest.
2: That's good, but you know, I'm I'm learning the ropes. I'm learning where to plug plug things in. Nice. You no, know, I'm, I'm I'm joking. Scott's Scott's working semi hard back here, but uh, he uh, yeah, he did a great job cleaning up the show. It was it was tough. When we were doing it live, because there was like okay. a ten second delay and such. But uh big props to James. We're gonna—I've been talking to him about trying to schedule getting him back on for you know, a show, another show, or another segment, something like that. And we'll uh, we'll work it out. We weren't able to do it for this show or the next one, but there are a lot of really good inf- pieces of information from that. My favorite was actually his kind of theory on cooling on a small scale for spontaneous beer, because I think. I see a lot of home brewers make uh, these kind of small-scale cool ships, and I think his point was, you know, that that cooling rate is not really representative of what you'd see on a commercial scale. It looks the same, but actually, the precipitous drop in the temperature of that beer isn't representative, and that, of course, has a key key impact on the outcome of a spontaneous fermented beer. So, I thought that was really interesting that he was doing it more in like a, a kettle. Uh, type of situation than kind of a shallow pan and actually when we had some some extra wort the other day uh mike who's just to the left of me he's our seller manager decided to you know just try something out and it actually ended up kind of a, to be a similar uh similar idea that that james had going where we did it in in the kettle right
6: yeah i mean purely coincidental i think
2: with the the kettle the volume and great things. minds think alike mike. yeah yeah definitely
6: yeah, no, we, uh, you know, we had some extra work left over and decided to kind of um, just split some off, put it into like our, our sugar boiling kettle and boiled it for, I think, like 25, half hour, added some some old uh, EKGs. A- aged hops. <laughs> ancient hops. <laughs> ancient hops that we had in the freezer and uh, just like a, an ounce or two of those and left it overnight for, I think it was about 16, 18 hours, put it into a carboy the next day and I think after four or five days, we started seeing something forming on the top.
2: and There's certainly something there. There's something there,
6: <laughs> not mold. So it's exciting. Actually, yeah, I think Clark pulled me a sample last week, and he and Stefan smelled it, and we're like, wow, <laughs> there's actually something here. And I smelled it, and then I tasted it, and I was like, oh, of, it, it tastes gross. And they're like, oh, no, we didn't taste that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Stefan takes the gravity, and he's like, oh, it's like 14.1. I'm like, oh, that's you know i guess we pick that up from the boil hopefully it's not gonna, yeah yeah <laughs> I'm not kidding but yeah that's no, a, it's a fun uh fun experiment for sure
2: so no no uh drop in gravity but some some cloudiness that doesn't look that dangerous i mean you're still alive so
6: yeah i'm still here we'll see how long uh, i make it but you know definitely some i think there I, I picked up on a little bit of acidity for sure so um
5: yeah, it was definitely there
6: yeah i don't think we oxygenated that and boiled it and you know, yeah, where it goes. it's not,
2: you know, while it is, you know, the first spontaneous work we've done at the rare barrel, it's not kind of a, a part of a grander plan. It's just you kind of looking at the weather report and saying, oh, hey, you know, this is actually going to be a pretty cold night in Berkeley, which we don't get a lot of cold nights. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. And maybe in uh, in three years we'll have, you know, three great gallons of spontaneous. <laughs> as <laughs> as
6: that's the best we can hope for. I think. Yeah, that's, super, how, that's how we're going to make rare. it.
2: Yeah, that's how we're going to make it as a brewery with our uh, three gallon at a time spontaneous releases. The rare carboy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you guys?
3: Do you guys all have a homebrew background? Well, let's go one at a time. Start with you, Mike.
6: Yeah, I started homebrewing um, in college, classic kind of, you know, that type of thing. Um, then got a job at a Marin Brewing Company, and then got a job here.
5: Nice. I actually uh, I started just being in bar business through college, and then. Uh, I actually went into um, a management position at a chain restaurant. It wasn't really for me, so then uh, yeah, Buffalo Wild Wings, <laughs> um, and uh, decided to go across the street. And it was in Athens, Ohio. It's uh, Jackie O's Pub and Brewery, and started as a waiter there, and then uh, moved up to a bartender. And then I was one day I was just like, "Hey, is there anything I can do to learn more about the brewing process to kind of inform my customers? You know what?" Uh, you know, just so I can don't look like an idiot, essentially when talking about beers. And I started filling kegs on Sundays, and then became the uh, the assistant uh, brew pub brewer, and then the uh, the pub brewer, and then uh, moved out here uh, just past uh, August, and started working for the Rare Barrel in September.
3: Nice.
2: And that was uh, Clark speaking, by the way, and he's our lead cellarman. And uh, maybe you guys can say your name and what what you do before you get into your background. Sorry, Jay. Don't fire me. You, you are <laughs> <Too> so <right. laughs> fired after the end of the show because we still need your content.
3: Fair yeah. enough.
7: This is Aaron Whitman. I'm the R&D coordinator at The Rare Barrel. Uh, I was a home brewer for 12 years and then applied for a job at as a production assistant uh, about a year and a half ago and was hired on as a production assistant and kind of worked my way up through... Seller person and am now the R&D coordinator.
0: Uh, this is Stefan. I'm presently the inventory coordinator, but was hired at the same time as Aaron. We both started as production assistants. Similar homebrewing background, not as many years, but hopefully same enthusiasm. Aaron's old. <laughs> uh, He's not that old. That was not what I was implying. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, was a production assistant, now inventory coordinator. <laughs> made it. Started from there the bottom. There yeah. is.
3: Did, did any of you guys bring in homebrew to, and I, maybe you were too far along in your, your resumes. Well, you didn't
0: need to. But to You get didn't your, get those, Scott? Yeah, you didn't I get mean, those? I mean, yeah, we yeah. sent a bunch of homebrewing <laughs> to you.
5: Did, uh, no. did anyone else try them here? Uh, no, I, we didn't. I think that's a, oh. No, oh. sorry. Uh,
3: I meant to your job interviews to impress oh, no. the rare barrel guys you <laughs> no. know, at the clipboard, and we're asking the questions.
2: I never Nobody would Nobody did? I would no, I didn't bring, bring any that. homebrew.
3: No. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, is it just that you, you just had the, their resumes were, like, I guess you need to do that if you don't have a background that you can show and you're like, hey, I want to get into the brewing industry and here's my homebrew. Is that, is that
2: the best time to do that? Sure. I think I've seen that, you know, of, of all the people I've interviewed, that's happened maybe one time. But yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a great way to go. And at least, you know, even if the beer is not like out of this world. You can see how people take criticism and are able to talk about beers constructively. Because, I mean, that's honestly, if you could slice up what we do every day, me and and this team that we built, it's like all we do is just talk about beers in pretty incredible depth on like, you know, I mean, all we do is sour beer and then we're talking about you know, what hops and dry hop methods and then what, you know, inoculants and when and how much. And it just gets really uh <laughs> intensive. So you want someone who can kind of play at that level if it's someone you want to interview. And speaking of that, we just interviewed someone who does play at that level. Who else is over there?
3: Uh, my name is Tommy Kim. This is uh, day two as a production assistant. <laughs> hey, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I aspire to be a coordinator like uh, Stefan and maybe <laughs> a R&D like... Uh, Someday. Someday. <laughs> 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 you got to get there. Uh, But for now, um, I'm the
5: grunt
2: man. I don't mind that at all, though. A long two days. <laughs> yeah. uh, my name is Rob McCoy. Uh, I started off uh, just after I turned 21, maybe 22, got really into homebrewing and been doing it about seven years. I uh, worked at a little brewery in Ventura called Surf Brewery doing sales for those guys and uh, realized I did not like doing sales, whatever. It was more of an excuse to uh, volunteer my time in the uh, brewery when I could. And then when I moved up here to the Bay, I got a job in the tasting room at Rare Barrel and I was fortunate enough to get into a production,
0: um, production assistant job at the Rare Barrel on the production side. And that's what I'm doing full time now.
2: Excellent. Yeah, and that's the team.
0: Nice. I'm drinking. Um,
3: now I've moved on to the uh, Forces Unseen, the fifth blend. You know, I've been no- I've been noting that the acidic backbone of rare barrel beers has sort of been steadily increasing as time has mm-hmm. gone on.
2: Yeah. This you, did you is- notice that too. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm very
3: perceptive. This this uh, Forces blend is uh, tamped down on the acidity. Is mm-hmm. that purposeful? Yes.
2: Yeah. Everyone's uh, everyone's High happy. Five. You said that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> maybe uh very, very maybe aaron you can kind of describe a little bit of the aaron and stefan you can describe kind of what we have in the, t- the two people splitting the mic <laughs> kind of what we have going on in the cellar currently maybe that's more you stefan and then uh aaron how we kind of plucked this beer out in particular and kind of made a uh a blended golden sour which is what forces unseen is
0: yeah i mean i think it we've been aware of the sort of high higher acidity creep and uh you know, to to the extent that we could make a more balanced beer in this line, we've been looking for it. But at the same time, we're still trying to pull the best barrels we can, especially for—this is a relatively small blend here. This is just five oak barrels. So this was also some of our early attempts at new Saccharomyces primaries. So this is, for, for the most part, quite a, a departure in the series. And uh, I don't know. Do you have anything to add, Aaron?
7: Uh, yeah, I think this, for all of us in the back, this is one of our favorite beers to blend because it does kind of draw together what we have in the cellar from a diversity standpoint and puts it into kind of interesting complementary and contrasting blends with with the different barrels. Horses 5 is is kind of, yeah, the first uh, time you'll see us working with a, a Saison Saccharomyces strain in, in a blend, and it's just kind of out there. You can taste it a little bit. Um, and I think you, you know, just looking at kind of where our cellar has been heading and s- some of the uh, larger fermentations that we've been doing lately, you can see a little bit more of that character coming forward in this and more of, hopefully other of our beers as well. So
2: Yeah, we've definitely been talking a lot more about this pendulum, you know, that swings back and forth with, you know, our experiments because we don't know where they're going to go and sometimes, you know, We get a little too experimental with uh, wild yeast and bacteria, and I think that swung us um, towards the acidic side of things. But uh, I think we've quickly corrected that uh, doing a lot of Saccharomyces research recently. Um, It's just something that, again, is kind of an ongoing conversation for us in the brewery. We have, uh, for those who maybe are listening uh, for the first time, we've got about 1,000 oak barrels in our cellar. So there's just a ton of sour beer running around there and. Uh, to kind of manage it from the top down and the bottom up is has become a challenge. But luckily, I have these guys to to help me out with that. But uh, now that everyone's kind of crossed that threshold and said something on the microphone, they've gotten you know another half beer in them. Maybe let's uh, take a quick break and then get and just rip through a bunch of questions.
3: Yeah. Well, and, uh, starting with mine, I want yeah. to hear when we get back if this tamp down acidity thing is going to be a goal
2: going forward for more than just forces unseen blends well scott you'll get that answer after the break we'll be right back on the sour hour hey my brewing brothers and sisters this is jamel zanisha and i love a bold hoppy beer when it spits resin in your face and makes you cry uncle there are a lot of great hoppy beers out there but at heretic we want to make something as bold dank and resiny as possible We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering, but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam you in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers.
1: Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, More Beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order And make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Hey, this is Vinny
4: at Russian River Brewing Company. I'm getting funky on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network.
2: All right, we're back. It's the Sour Hour. Got that lead in from Vinny. Everyone got excited because we've got, I think, six or seven Pliny pints on the table right now. Are we playing Kill the Cash? <laughs> yeah, uh, there's Pliny a little together? concern at the bar when we've been going out and ordering more Pliny. It's like you guys are going to drain this keg. Uh, well, we we dropped off some stuff here, but I don't know what I'm talking about in reference to any bar or anything like well, that.
3: Well, wait a minute. I thought as of January one, no, it's it's kind it's of a gray area. really? yeah,
2: <sighs> yeah, it didn't change that much. So now we can't pay it off, though, because we uh, we right. said in,
3: like, December, oh, huh, we're going to tell you what the hell right. we're talking about, and then we can't do that?
2: Yeah, so uh, it's just yeah. a dead bit now, I think. Great. We we totally screwed that up. Okay, well, let's <laughs> just pretend we
3: never said anything. <laughs> but I'm not going to screw go.
2: this up, which is forgetting about the teas that I mentioned before the break, which was your question, Scott, Yeah, with one tea. Yeah. That's I, why I had trouble <laughs> saying it just then. Um, you know, you, you've been mentioning some of the beers you had from us. Uh, I've seen kind of more acidity to it. But, you know, this forces is kind of going swinging the pendulum back. And, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll pose it to you guys. What do you think? Do you see us, you know, long term driving towards kind of a more uh, forces level acidity or just kind of, you know, what What are your thoughts on how we control acidity and how we're doing with that? I guess
5: I'll kind of say, th- oh, Stefan, you want something? go uh, ahead? Uh, challenge, uh, challenge <laughs> it, do it. I don't
0: mean to interrupt, Clark, but uh, clearly (laughs) you shot him. You shot him the stink eye. right. (laughs) That was all I need. I shot him right there. And uh, (laughs) over the break, we were talking about just the general goal is diversity. And so I don't think we necessarily have an overall portfolio level of acidity in mind. We just want to be able to control. We don't want our beers to be super sour. We're not sour because we have no choice. So I think diversity is the goal. Someone else, go ahead. <laughs> I think Bro. to add to that, too. Let's say, let's say you're... Uh, oh, this say is Aaron. Before you speak. Yeah, you this
7: go. is Aaron. To add to that a little bit, and I know we've all talked about this before, is we also drink sour beer every day um, when we're blending and when we're just checking in on our barrels and stuff. And um, I think that at times we can have an elevated threshold in our, in our blending sessions where we're blending to an acidity that we might um, enjoy, whereas other people might see it as pretty ripping sour. Um, the other thing that's happening is uh, we're getting feedback from people, and we're listening to that, and feedback from each other, too, and some of our beers in the tasting room. I don't know. I, I think we're kind of trying to swing the pendulum. and Jade talks about this pendulum, and it's, it's something we have multiple pendulums in our brewery. <laughs> and this is, this is one of them that uh, we do track in all of our barrels or oh, over our entire barrel stock. And, you know, finding that nice middle ground, but also keeping that middle ground rather wide so we have just more stuff to blend with.
3: It's a good point, too, for, for homebrewers to think about, especially homebrewers that are, you know, brewing sour beer and drinking a lot of it, that your friends' palates and the people that you may be brewing for it isn't necessarily yours. So if something tastes like, well, this is really acidic, but it's, you know, borderline, and I like it, remember that probably not everybody will. See, I mean, that's something you guys have to keep in mind, for sure, because you're serving to the public.
2: Absolutely, and, you know, we also try to keep diversity on our tap list, you know, so it's like... We'll have this batch of Forces Unseen on tap, but, you know, maybe another beer will be on the other end of the spectrum, pendulum, however you want to <laughs> refer to it. But, you know, I think diversity in the barrels leads to the diversity in the taps, leads to, you know, diversity of our bottle lineup for the year. And, you know, we're, we're ready to explore sour beer to its fullest extent. You know, we, we don't want to make a beer that people wouldn't consider a sour beer. So that's kind of our bottom threshold, I guess. And the upper threshold is kind of just, I think we all want a drinkable beer, um, and we don't want to slap anyone in the face with a beer. So, you know, working inside of that can be challenging when it comes to wild yeast and bacteria. But with blending and, you know, with learning more about our experimental fermentations, I think we're getting better at it, you know, year by year.
7: I also think it's a lot more fun for us as blenders to have that variety to, to work with. That's a lot of fun in bringing different beers to the table and seeing what they can do together
2: absolutely and one of the, one of the the questions we got uh for the show today was kind of just what what's what's the general approach you guys have to to bl- to blending your beer or, or even just starting the ferment what's the beginning of the process and I think for us, the beginning really is these initial fermentation ideas um, we We uh theorize that a certain fermentation is going to yield a certain type of flavor. Uh, I think often it's not quite what we expect or it develops differently over time. Uh, so at that point, we kind of have to take stock and say, okay, what do we have now? What is it actually? And how does that fit into the greater context of what beers we're actually trying to make? So we have a lot of fun in the back where we're just doing a ton of different experiments. We're lucky because we get to taste these barrels before they go into big blends, but and we're learning from that those data points, but... You know, once it does go into a big blend, all we're worried about is what what base beer can we build to support whatever the idea of the beer is. So for forces, it's a uh, distinct character from fermentation from a blended a blend of golden sours. But then we have a beer like Map of the Sun, where over the first two years of making that beer, they, those two batches are extremely different. Our batch this year was quite sour, um, and, and we've going back and tasting the first year; it's not that sour. And, you know, I think that was built from different blends and we can reflect back and see what the fermentation characters were that we liked and try and build it back from there. But then also try and get to an acidity that's, you know, what's the perfect acidity for an apricot sour? And with blending, you know, if we have the diversity that these guys are talking about, we can, we can build that beer. And that's kind of the ultimate goal.
3: How recently did you try the, was it 14 was the first year for Map of the Sun or thirteen?
2: Uh, fourteen.
3: How recently did you? Was it? Has it just been like a month or two?
2: A couple months ago, probably.
3: Now, how how was the um, the apricot character? I want to test Mm -hmm. the limits of this while the fruit drops out after time theory, or maybe it's not a theory. Maybe it's a fact.
2: I think it's true. Um, I think fruited sour beer should be consumed fresh. But you know, I think the the thing is, the fruit's gonna (laughs) go down over time, but the base beer. I mean, from what I've seen in in most of our bottles, the base beer is still good. So it's still a good base sour beer, but sometimes the secondary ingredient will fade at different rates. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think uh, some of our earlier fruit beers, how how, how are they holding up in your eyes, Mike?
6: Uh, I I mean, uh, yeah, I think it depends on the fermentation across, like, all sour beer. In terms of ours, I think I agree with you, Jay. I think you definitely want to consume the fruit beers fresh, especially some of the younger ones that were... um, You know, maybe Brett primaries with like one or two different Brett strains and you know a couple different like lactic acid bacteria. I think you know you compare that to something like you know like a like a lambic like Fufun or something, and you know you've got a pretty complex you know yeast and bacteria mix in there. And a lot of people say, oh, I hang on to them for three or four years, and I I don't know. I mean, we opened one the other day. It's fantastic beer. Uh, I think the fruit changes over time for sure. whether that whether the yeast and bacteria in advance and the fruit becomes kind of like a complement, um yeah i mean that's a great thing as well for a beer i think if you're looking for a fruit sour i think we've definitely found that the fruit falls off you know after after a few months or a year whatever but yeah i mean it the beers will continue to change in age and it's not always it's not going to be worse it's just going to be different Um, i think a lot of people look for the subtleties, maybe it's like an ester thing, like, oh, you know, this gives off pineapple, peach, mango, whatever. And if you have a fruit in there that can kind of maybe it's, you know, when you bottle that beer at a year, it's very stone fruit, apricot, peach, whatever you put in there. And maybe after a while you get some expression from, you know, the, the fermentation, yeast and bacteria start start kind of commingling with that. And it's just it it really depends on what you're looking for as a drinker. It just kind of depends on your consumer base, I guess.
3: So let me throw out a hypothetical. So mm-hmm. let's say I am a home brewer and I have friends with more amateurish palates, for lack of a better term. And I want to make an apricot sour beer that's like really approachable and maybe even like like explosion candy apricot. But I also plan on saving bottles because my daughter's quinceanera is in three years and I want to <laughs> pop some then. What if what, I just load up? On, on apricots. Like, f- way, way more mm-hmm. than you sh- would otherwise. And in the beginning, you have a f- apricot explosion, and then there's still some fruit left after two years. I'm just throwing stuff out there. I don't know the yeah,
2: validity. Yeah, that, that certainly could be... Well, first off, Mazel Without, tov on, that, tov on <laughs> the 15th and Thank you. Without, um, but
3: would it work, though? <laughs> would it work that way?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of brewers right now are trying that. You know, we talked to James last week, and he's got his Mock Limit series, which uh, is... Adding fruit, so it's, I think, 49% of the total fermentables of the beer, which is just under the legal limit. And, you know, I think that'll be interesting to see how those age over time. Some of, I think he's doing a lot of spontaneous beer too. So, you know, people say that uh, spontaneously fermented beer or the Belgian Lay Mix last longer, or, you know, Mike's saying they last a long time and they still taste good. They're not bad, they're just different. You know, I think that's very true. So, think having hearty strains of um will definitely help you out, but you know the fruit is going to fall off over time. Stefan?
0: If I could throw out a suggestion, I would say, based on some of our experience, maybe what you could do is make that fruited beer, but save a portion of it for a late... A, I don't know how much time, but for some amount of time later, and then refruit it. The character is not the same, but you're definitely, obviously, going to get more fruit character overall. But a staggered fruit addition is something that Clark has talked about, that he, de- he used to do at Jackie's, But it's something to consider in this kind of situation, I would think. Yeah, talk about those. Yeah, absolutely.
5: Yeah. So um, when I was working for Jackie's Pub and Brewery, uh, we we started with uh, there was a, a great beer that we did called uh, Dynamo Fuzz. And it's like the peach, apricot, sour, aged, in oak barrels over time. And uh, started the base beer called Kinda Fuzzy, which is just a, a peach wheat, you know, fermented, just, you know, two-row white wheat. That's it. Some sauce hops there thrown in there at, at, you know, boil begin and then, you know, 30 minutes out. But then, you know, we'd ferment it. About three days after primary, we'd push in some of the, um, the organ fruit apricot puree and peach puree. And then let that go all the way until it finishes. No diacetyl. Beer's ready to go. Then we put that into the bright, let it settle, and then put that into barrels with our house culture at that time, and then wait till you know the beer's sour enough, and, and it still has some of that remaining fruit character to it. But then it's like, all right, how can we amp this up some more? Refeed the house culture and really just like push it to the just the right level, and then uh, just add more either you know whether it's uh, whole fruit or puree depends on however you want to do it you know i mean obviously there's that argument between do you want to use you know what's the, fresh fruit frozen fruit puree fruit there's all different ways that you can go about doing that for different flavor and uh different uh, aromatics as well but um yeah whole fruit just added to there and let that finish all the way and that's what the uh, the final product came out. and it's it's a stellar beer i'm very very proud of how that turned out
2: so there you go a few different ways to go for your quinceanera beer, Scott.
7: <laughs> it's not mine. It's my daughter's. Yeah, your daughter's going to love it on her quinceanera, I tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, it's the only
2: Mexican Jew on the planet. Let's get to some... <laughs> oh, that's not true. Doug Constantiner. He's Mex- society. He's Mexican? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah.
3: Constantiner?
2: I'm, it's a Greek, isn't it's a it's it? That's yeah, a classic. Let's call
6: him.
3: Constantiner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here's a question from Brian, yeah. who writes in... Uh, yeah. I have a, a two. This is a weird one. I have a two-year-old dark sour that I bottle-conditioned in twenty-two-ounce bottles. My question was, I was thinking of submitting it to NHC this year, but there's a you know the restriction twelve-ounce bottles. Any solutions?
1: Oh, I didn't
2: know that. I don't. I don't have one. Is that that, that kind possible? Of
3: mine. How many do you have left? Submit both.
7: Like just submit two bottles. I don't think that that's a problem if they receive. I don't know. I'm not a representative of NHC, nor have I ever been. So
2: over twelve is not allowed. Exactly, it's
3: reverse. It's he can't submit the twenty twos. The beers in twenty twos, but he only can submit them in twelves. So how does he get the? What can he do anything? I,
2: I have a, I have a an, an, cry, ex- an expensive, I I an expensive solution. Yeah. If you get so in professional setting, this is called jumping kegs. And This is like way overkill, but you can jump bottles by getting two counter pressure fillers and just hooking them up to each other. So the basic flow is uh, CO2 pressure in to your 22-ounce bottle. It allows flow out of the beer, and there's a stainless steel tube that goes to the very bottom, so you're going to get all of your beer out. It's going to go out the tube. Out the stainless tube through some uh, flex tubing into your 12 ounce bottle, and then there's a blow off of CO2, which is, I, like I said, extreme overkill on a homebrew level. But it's stuff we have to do as pro brewers sometimes. Hmm. So that's going to be like uh, $400 or something yeah. more beer. So just mention that you heard that on the sour hour, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll get a cut of that.
3: <laughs> you guys want to do a, a kettle souring question? Heck yeah! This is from Greg. Who says, Dear Sour Hour, I've been trying to kettle sour a 6% Berliner for a week and a half now, and the pH has stalled at 3.7. I'm using a probiotic pill that soured a previous Berliner, which came out at 4%, um, and that was at uh, in four days at room temp. The first five days souring on the latest beer was at 115 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, it stalled out, so I removed the heat, and now it's been four more days. I performed the same technique as the previous beer, boiled for 20 minutes to kill off any strange bugs, and cooled to 115. Is it possible that the strains of lacto in the uh, probiotic prefer lower temperatures? This is only my second kettled sour beer, and I'm really curious as to what could be the issue.
2: Anybody want to take this?
6: Does it say if it's still in the kettle or
3: not, or...? It's been five days,
6: and
2: it's still in the kettle? I think it's more than five days, right?
6: Uh, Yeah, a week and a half. week and a half? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, taste it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, hold on. By the way, this is the guy who tasted He's the only one who wanted to taste the spontaneous beer earlier.
6: Yeah, send it to me. I'll taste it. So he's got an (laughs) iron (laughs) beer. Iron Mike. Uh, Yeah, taste it. Then go to the Milk the Funk uh, Berliner recipe and make that, because I think uh, they tell you to, like— what is it? What's the method over there? It's like do it in a keg, you know, where you can purge it if you have a keg on hand. But, yeah, I mean, those guys, if you're using the Plantarum pills or the, the Omega Lacto, I think they're getting acidity pretty quickly, I think like 18 hours. and
2: Ten days is just...
7: It just seems a so, like Side messy. note, that's
2: too long. Yeah. So you, I, I almost guarantee you want to dump that beer because I would be shocked if you were able to keep it away from oxygen for ten days. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Milk the Funk is a great... Uh, resource for techniques on uh, doing kettle souring check out sourbeerblog.com which your question is brought to us, us. by them by right, right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> something like that there there's some truth in there and uh, they uh, Dr. Lambic McMay he had two very extensive articles on fast souring with lactobacillus 1.0 and then an update for 2.0 Or go back and listen to, you know, uh, I think it's the Troy Casey episode of Sour Hour where we had Chris Johnson in here in studio. Check out his method, which I really like. The Commons, they're making award-winning sour beers that are kettle soured. So plenty of good techniques out there. I don't know specifically what went wrong with yours. Sounds like you're doing uh, probiotics at different temperatures. You know, if, if you're getting it off the the site, I would just uh, post your complete process, and, I mean, they'll they'll pick it apart.
6: Yeah, the other thing about that, he talks about, I don't know what his probiotic is, if he knows the strain of lacto that's in there, but I know Matt Humbard has, like, I think, on Milk the Funk site, like, he did a bunch of, like, four different trials of, uh, like, four or five different strains of lactose at different temps, and their pH drop. So that's a good study to reference as well.
2: Anybody here made a kettle sour at home?
0: No, but... Uh, Our tasting room manager, Jeff, made a really Mm -hmm. great staff favorite. Shout out to Jeff. Yeah. Way to go, Jeff. (laughs) Jeff Hester. Suck, Jeff. Uh, He used used (laughs) Good Belly as the source. Uh, A Good Belly shot Mm -hmm. that you can get at most grocery stores as his shot of lactobacillus. And it turned out great. So compliment him next time you come to the tasting room. So so he could do do it. it. I have done
7: a a prehistoric... um, kettle souring a long, <laughs> long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Back in 2014. 2014. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, it, I me, mean, you know. I think the the process of research that Mike laid out is is if I, if I was to do a kettle souring again, I would definitely hit up the Milk the Funk guys because I was working off of rumors on obscure homebrew forums that no longer exist. <laughs> is that a site? Um, dot com. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think Milk the Funk is really a, a resource that, uh, for anybody looking to turn around sours pretty quickly, and and to do kettle souring specifically is an invaluable
6: resource. Yeah, yeah, it's a great tool.
2: And, and you know, they have their Facebook group, but not just that. There's the, the wiki that they run, and I think their wiki actually does cite uh, the SourBeerBlog.com articles quite a bit because they are, they are very, very thorough for the fast souring.
7: They also cite uh, Mike... Pdo macros over here. So, oh yeah, that's that a true. Pdo file. Gosh. That's. <laughs> that's, that's
2: <laughs> <laughs> wait, did the oh wait did the mic just drop out? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we can we can edit that out and post. I think, uh, Why would you want to? Uh,
3: this is another PDO enthusiast named Adam Golab. I'll use his full name, and yeah, he yeah, writes in. <laughs> uh, N- Nambla? Yeah. Nambla? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Adam says, uh, I'll get just the last part of his email. He said he was lucky enough to try uh, Cosmic Dust, Map of the Sun, and Forces Unseen at the EBF. Is that the Epic Beer Fest? Extreme, uh, extreme
2: <laughs> Beer Fest. Extreme.
3: So, cool. Uh, Mike was there. Want to describe that briefly? How was that? I wasn't there. Oh, we you sent, I oh Mike. Your, your cronies went.
6: Yeah. I was there. <laughs> yeah. that was, oh, I mean, it was, it was awesome. I couldn't believe the response. All the way on the other side of the country, I was so impressed with how many people. First off, knew who we were, and second off, were like, "Man, your beers are tasting great!" And there were so many other good sour breweries out there. I mean, yeah, I, I had I had a lot of clean or funky, like both sour beer from a lot of breweries that I had never heard of, and I was really impressed. But it was at the same time like extremely humbling and flattering to see these people on the other side of the country lining up for multiple polars of Map of the Sun, Cosmic Dust, you know, I mean, all that stuff. And it's you know, it's kind of a testament, like, we we work really hard in the cellar, but it's definitely a shout-out uh, more often than not, people are like, oh, I was in your tasting room and I had a really good time, and, oh, my sister lives in Berkeley, and, oh, you know, like, I talked to Tyler, your club coordinator, and that guy, like, man, he's always taking, you know, great care of me. So it's really just kind of, for me, it was the beer is, you know, we work really hard on that obviously on the production side, but there's so much more that goes into giving the consumers a great experience. And I think in at EBF in Boston, for me, it was like that's that's where those people are coming from. The beer is like, yeah, it's great, but I had this great experience. And so it was it was pretty cool.
3: Nice. Well, yeah. Well, one of the guys who had that great experience with your beer is Adam. And Adam says, uh, I'm the assistant brewer for a small brewery in New England, and we inherited numerous acetic and acetone barrels. He said they had to dump about 50% of them. Uh, from a previous brewer who had poor... Um, practices, basically, uh, we finally have gone through all of the old stock, dumped the bad beer, packaged what we could, and replaced the bad barrels. Uh, this past weekend at EBF, I got to talking with the cellar manager at another small brewery about the topic, and he, uh, he had good luck getting acetobacter out of the barrels through the combination of metabisulfite, citric acid soak, followed by uh, steam treatment and then filling it with a heavily hopped beer. He mentioned New Belgium did something similar to save a fooder, uh, but I've uh, not been able to find anything on the Internet about it. was wondering if you had uh, anything to add about this process or input about its effectiveness.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because we haven't tried to utilize those techniques to eliminate Acetobacter, we've been pretty conservative where we get Acetobacter in a barrel, or we, to be honest, don't even like go to confirm that it's Acetobacter. If any barrel just produces high amounts of ethyl acetate, which is kind of this nail polish aroma, or acetic acid, which can is kind of like a vinegar flavor, Uh, those are both pretty common off flavors in sour beer, we'll just get rid of those barrels and just on the chance that there's like a massive amount of acetobacter doing this but to be honest a lot of the britannomyces strains will produce these things if aging for a long time and exposed to oxygen at the rare barrel all we use are 59 gallon barrels so you know those beers we have to design to develop in in a range where at a minimum you know kind of rough minimum is six months and then we start monitoring them from then on. It's like, hey, is this ready? Hey, is this ready? Hey, is this ready? It's a lot of what Aaron and Stefan work on is just being on top of those barrels all the time and being ready to kind of harvest them when they're ripe. But, yeah, I, I think those methods to uh, eradicate the acetobacter from the barrel are, are, are solid. And this, may, this is kind of a little bit of a tease, and we'll address it on uh, future shows. But we actually just got uh, an ozone machine which is going to be our new standard for uh, barrel care, uh, an ozone machine, a pressure washer, and a gamma jet uh, sprayer. So we're waiting to live with that for a little bit longer before I go into more detail on that. I feel like um, because we've used it once or twice at this point. Twice. Twice. So. I'd like to use it a little bit more, see the results over time, and then be able to report back on it. So,
3: is that new, or is is that the thing? Has have breweries been using ozone, and I've just not heard of it?
2: I don't know of a lot of breweries using ozone. Uh, actually, that's not true because I, when I got the machine, I had le- you know like a full reference list and listed some breweries. It's extremely popular amongst wineries. Mm. Um, And we were getting some kind of flavor and aroma carryover from our potassium made up by sulfite and citric acid storage solution. We just weren't able to, when we went to dump that barrel and go to fill it with beer, we weren't able to rinse that out quite well enough where that flavor wouldn't transfer over to the beer. And those beers ended up taking a lot longer to age out with this sort of sulfur character. Uh, I may have mentioned this on a previous show, but, you know, I i've I've cited this kind of one pound potassium made by sulfite half pound of citric cit, sir, excuse me citric acid per oak barrel um, since then when we've gotten concerned about higher levels of this mixture in our beer carrying over uh, I've solicited some advice from New Belgium to go back to the listeners question uh, and they do a much lower rate of uh, potassium metabisulfite by sulfite and citric acid it may even be around like the 10 or twenty percentage range? Does that sound about right for uh, the new Belgium rate of KMS, 10 or 20% of what we originally used?
7: Yeah, 10 Yeah, I think it, it, some, was, somewhere like that. it was remarkably less than what were we, we were originally using.
2: So I think if you're diligent about checking those barrels, you know, you can go ahead and try out that lower rate. Um, but like I said, I, I'd love to use the ozone machine a little bit further and then report back on that later. But those methods that you... Uh, that you mentioned i think those will work out fine so let's uh let's take a quick break and then come back we're going to do a segment with uh dr limbic yes. yep
3: he just typed back to me that he's here so we'll get back with him uh, right after this
2: great we're running uh, a little bit long but we're just chock full of information and now planning the elder so we'll be right
1: back yeah this hour say hello to my little friend you've heard about white labs pure pitch yeast Pure Pitch is yeast grown right in its final packaging. That means yeast that has never been exposed to the environment. And White Labs Pure Pitch yeast for home brewers is now available to everyone at homebrew retailers nationwide. Easy to use, perfectly sized, and ready to pitch. White Labs yeast packaged using their FlexCell process ensures the purest yeast on the market. Visit WhiteLabs.com to learn more about Pure Pitch cell technology and how it's created. Then visit a homebrew retailer near you for your own perfectly sized package of pure pitch yeast. And you can say hello to your own little friend, www.whitelabs.com.
2: I was wondering when you were going to put the mics back on hot, industry term. I had to wait for him to say, funky, funky. That's nice. Welcome back. It's the Sour Hour. We're here with uh, the funky crew from the Rare Barrel, our production team.
0: Hi. (laughs) More funky, more (laughs) funk to come.
2: A uh, quick couple things be- I want to hit on before we bring in Dr. Lambic to talk yeah. about blending. Yeah. I'd uh, like
3: to hit on Bevo before
2: you do that. Whoa. Hey, you're looking I'll fine, Bev.
3: <laughs> okay, you got. Now it. you
2: can hit on whatever you want to hit on. I'll hit on this. Uh, my, my fine lady, the wine and hop shop at wineandhop.com. <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah. Air five. Boom. Or real. Let's, let's, slap, let's slap him. <laughs> you
6: guys are fired. No, it's,
2: it's, it's the wine and hop shop. Hey, really how right? many fire people be? Is it the first or is it? Don't. I'm I'm on a roll here, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> but they've got exactly what you want, which is Omega yeast and Giga yeast. yeast. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. the best. We use it. We just made a lot of Love it. Brett saison with uh, Giga yeast. Is yes,
3: there a, yeah. a Terry yeast? If there's Mega and Giga, dibs.
2: <laughs> that, <laughs> that's so it's Trad- trademark the rare barrel 2016. <laughs> yeah. No, my guy. <laughs> Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we it, it's been working yeah. out great. We did the uh, Saison blend and the Brett blend. So uh, I encourage – and, they, and uh, Wine and Hop has a lot more than all that stuff. So check them out. You know, a uh, uh, caller called in early, earlier about kettle souring. They've got uh, from Omega the Lacto blend. They've also – I think they sell plantarum on its own, if I'm not mistaken. No? They don't? I don't, I I
6: don't, don't know, know about for homebrewers. I think they do – it. it's in the blend.
2: Oh, okay. The blend's yeah. good, though. Brevis and – uh, and Plantarum?
6: Yeah, it used to be. I think they used to have some Delbruckii in there. I think it's just Brevis
0: and Plantarum currently. I can not Stefan? I can't comment.
2: I Recommended by the Rare Barrel. So check them out. Uh, BN listeners, get flat $8 shipping rate on orders under how many pounds, Scott? 50. Just enter BN Shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart, and the discount will be taken off after checkout. The Wine and Hop Shop dot... Danette Clark. No. <laughs> So <laughs> the wine and hop shop wine and hop dot com we'll edit that up in post because <laughs> I was really I was rolling there sorry listen to the other BN shows I mentioned it before Session Dr. Homebrew other stuff et cetera burn style okay let's yeah. do uh, let's learn how to blend with uh, Dr. Lambic and his uh, good friend his apprentice Kill Smoothie are you there what's up
3: doc hi guys how you doing hey guys
2: Doing well. You're you're sounding a little crackly. Are you guys under the weather or under uh, water?
8: <laughs> I'm not sure. Our connection seems to be dropping down a bit here.
3: China? Oh. Yeah, are you guys in China? Yeah, China again.
8: We're going through multiple
4: proxies trying to hide our location.
3: I got,
2: well, I, <laughs> suddenly you, you sound better, so oh, yes. let's roll with it. Well, yeah, let's see That's what we can prox- do with this. Uh, just saw your uh, new article come out on... Uh, Blending sour beer. Uh, I'll just give you some criticism right off the top. I wish it was a little more extensive.
1: <laughs>
2: no, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's like, I printed it out. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I printed it out. I think it took uh, seven or eight pages, That and that's back-to-back printing. Single space. Yeah, same, not even dubs.
6: Yeah.
2: So uh, let's get into this. You guys really uh, outlined a lot of uh, blending strategies and the background of blending, but maybe for those who are uh, listening and, you know, they may or may not have made a single batch of sour beer, but what what is blending? What goes into blending? What's kind of the back, the basic background info that people need when they want to start a blending project with sour beer?
8: I think when, um, when you're si- starting to plan to create a blending program from the from the ground up, you want to think about variety. Um, That's fine. Ultimately the sour beers that you blend out of this program are going to you, you know you can take them in a lot of different directions, but the way the only way you'll be able to do that is if you Set up your yourself with enough batches and enough different types of fermentation character that you're going to have good options to blend with and not have to choose only between, like, oh, I've got three batches. What can I blend?
2: Gotcha. And I I think that's a good point, and that's kind of the base of the article. You You even mentioned at one point that, you know, this is a step— in the process where you have to have kind of a varied sour beer seller to kind of start this. So is that what you guys have? You know, how, how do you kind of, I know it's this particular section is not in the article and you kind of teased that you'd address it later, but how do you tackle, how do you even begin to tackle that project of, Hey, I, I need to have, you know, three or four different variants of sour beer to begin to start a blending project.
8: What we had decided back in two thousand fourteen was to start brewing ten gallons of beer every two months, splitting that into two five gallon batches and fermenting each batch with some different combination of lacto, brett, saccharomyces and sometimes PDO just to and generally using the same recipe so that as time moved on we would constantly be feeding new beers into the program and after you know six months to a year we'd be able to start selecting different characteristics things that we're developing and be able to use them as blenders
2: gotcha and so when you're planning out a blending session what are what are the steps involved when you have these blenders in in your uh, sour beer stock
8: well, Without getting as as detailed as we kind of run through the article, one of the – before you can really think about blending, you need to think about tasting. Palette training and just having experience with different varieties of sour beer, learning how to identify off flavors is going to put you in the the right position to be able to start creating good blends. After that, on blending day, you're going to be thinking about – Tasting all of these different samples and creating a set of notes that works for you to determine what about each beer is memorable, what different characteristics you like, and screening beers for things that you don't like, things that you don't want to put into a blend, so that you can start to build a beer in your mind based on all of the different components that you're tasting out of your batches.
2: Yeah, and you, you run down a, a nice list of kind of some of the the flavors you may run into, which can be problematic in sour beer. Uh, what what are you guys seeing in your cellar personally of the of this list that trouble your beers or uh, you know are common off flavors that you guys encounter? And then how do you uh, how do you troubleshoot through that?
8: Uh, some of the common ones we're running into are, I think, off flavors that every sour brewer deals with at some point is acetic acid and ethyl acetate. Uh, we're running into those with beers that we really sat on too long. Our our aging is in carboys, and even though the glass is not permeable to oxygen, the um, the airlocks and the caps are pretty poor oxygen barriers. So we're seeing, um, for the first year of age, pretty good resilience to those flavors. But once they start getting older than that in the, the size batches that we have, Um, Some of the batches are definitely picking up acetic and ethyl acetate notes. Um, Those really just don't get included in the blends. We end up dumping them or, yeah. I mean, once they get to a certain point, they're dumped. If it's really minor, it can add a, a component. But over a certain threshold, those are dead ends. The other thing we've noticed is in certain cases... If the um, fermentation doesn't pick up fast enough, then you can pick up a whole host of off flavors. We've had one or two batches over the years that have just turned into like burnt rubber, burnt hair, really nasty phenols, um, and combined with uh, acetic acid type flavors, and and those weren't worth aren't aren't worth your time. You just some things. And I, and I think we, you know, we tried to cover through the article what kind of flavors may be worth sitting on and aging out, what can be incorporated in, in small portions to, um, to success in a blend. But there are some things that they're just too powerful. You're never going to get anything good out of that. It, don't waste your time. Free up, free up your carboy or your barrel or your, you know, whatever you're aging in and just move on.
2: You're getting a lot of head nods in the studio right now of, uh, you know, the the Rare Barrel team agreeing with what you guys are saying. I think we definitely uh, mirror uh, your your guys' process in a lot of ways. What what are some of your kind of big tips and tricks, though, the big takeaways were, were, that were kind of breakthroughs for you guys when you've made your best beers? And, well, you know, what's the key to having a successful blending session or blending day?
8: That's that's a, a question that's hard for hard for me, I think, to put a, a real finger on the pulse of. Um when it comes down to it, it's it's all about flavor. You know, I, I think that from my perspective, a lot of homebrewers and people that are first getting into thinking about blending take a very um mathematical approach to it. They start looking at, you know, how am I gonna measure these beers? How am I gonna Um, make sure that my blend has accurate measurements and and I'll be able to reproduce my test blend with my full batch. But I I like to take a step back from that approach and think about it from just a pure flavor standpoint. You're going to be tasting a lot of things. And in general, with sour beer, you may occasionally hit that, that fantastic, like you've coined it, the rare barrel that just doesn't need blending. It's amazing. Go ahead and drink it. But most of the time the beers are, are, they fall short in one area while they're fantastic in another. And the the trick to blending is to start identifying what components you like in any given batch and how you would like to build on that or use that as a building block to, to, to craft this final beer
4: yeah, I, I, think, I think Matt touches on that quite a bit. Um, uh, is, is earlier, he talks about, you know, in your mind is building a, uh, a beer uh, and just having all those flavor profiles laid out and just thinking about the whole time, you know, while looking at your really good notes that you took throughout your program and all your barrels and or carboys. And you sit there and you put them together in your brain and you're like, well, you know, component A and component B go well together. Well, what do we have that has that? Well, carboy one and carboy seven. Okay, cool. Well, let's mix some together and do it. It's it, I'm touching more on what Matt was saying about <clears throat> trying to be really finite about your blending. You know, 10 milliliters here, you know, on a small scale, and 10 milliliters of this. I think you have to think, you know, bigger than that. I think you have to think like Carboy One, Carboy Two, and Carboy You know, Eight all blend together and make something beautiful. It's it's just it's it's more. It's not as finite as you know, just measuring stuff out and pouring it together.
2: Gotcha. I think uh, Stefan has a question.
0: Uh, forgive me if you already talked about this, but my question is: How frequently are you tasting, and what are your methods for you know extracting your sample? Great question for homebrew.
8: <laughs> Since we're aging in all we're aging in all glass carboys, we're using a wine thief to pull those samples. So. In between sampling sour beers, one, we're sanitizing the wine thief because even though, you know, the, these beers already have mixed cultures, we don't necessarily want to introduce different strains from carboy to carboy. But we're, we're pulling samples with a wine thief, and then we've got a, um, a CO2 tank with a um, just— sanitized plastic tube hooked to a uh regulator so that as soon as we're done pulling a sample we can just dip the tube in there run you know 30 seconds to a minute of co2 straight down into the headspace of that carboy and flush as much oxygen back out as as we can you know reasonably accomplish and seal that back up
2: gotcha that and i think that's a great way to go about it with uh you know, glass carboys, you know, we do the yoke barrel vinny nail technique, which is nice. But, you know, yeah, not all homebrewers have that uh, set up at home. But uh, I think we're running out of time here. But I want to get you guys out of here on this question. What's the biggest mistake in sour beer blending? Mm, oh, ooh, interesting. Twist, twist.
8: I think the biggest mistake in sour beer blending is not understanding all of the components of flavor that are possible within sour beer before you start trying to do this. If you haven't tasted a lot of examples or good examples of what you're trying to accomplish you're going to be blind to potentially a whole variety of things that uh, unfortunately they might seem like interesting funk but it turns out that that could be anything from You know, rotten eggs to baby diaper to like over cereal flavors. There's just so much, so many options out there that shouldn't be included in a blend. The the first step is to figure out what not to put into your beer.
4: Yeah, I agree with Matt on that one. I think palate training has to be the first and foremost thing. And I think that's something that a lot of home brewers might not have that Matt and I have. There's two of us, so if some of us, if one of us misses a flavor, usually we have somebody overlapping that can be like, oh, well, there's also this component in there. So I think some homebrewers that are, you know, blending and brewing on their own don't have that extra, you know, sensory person there to help them out. So I think that's also key.
3: So Okay, that's a really interesting point. So maybe if you're thinking about brewing your first sour beer, find someone from your homebrew club and hook up with them and do it together.
2: I, d- I definitely think that's that's one way to go about it, but when when you can take advantage and leverage the fact that you're a home brewer instead of a professional brewer, I think you should. And in some ways, if you're going to be the one drinking the sour beer and you like it and you can't perceive ethyl acetate, you can't perceive diacetyl. That sometimes you know sometimes ignorance is bliss. Maybe you won't submit your beer to NHC and win a gold medal, but you know who cares? If you like the beer, then that's great. I think a lot of people listening to this show. Are trying to make their beer, you know, the best sour beer it can be, so they want to have as many blenders as po- or you know blenders and taste testers as possible. And I think that's an excellent piece of advice. And one, you know, you go into the article, Matt, about where you know extensive training and tasting. You know, how, how are you supposed to know what the potential of sour beer is if you haven't tasted a Belgian lambic or goose or Frambois if you've only tasted, you know, great American sour beers or maybe you've just tasted Berliners or whatever it is, you know, how do you know the potential of everywhere you could go? I think that's an excellent point. All right. Thank you. you. Uh,
3: He's speechless.
8: uh, Well, you know, I I think that from me and Kay and I's perspective, you know, we are home brewers, very interested and very, I think, fanboys of sour beer and sour brewers and and everything that goes on in the in the sour brewing industry. We're not necessarily the the ultimate experts in this. I hope that that doesn't come across in, in my description, but but what I, I do hope that we can do, and I think that what I I like to do is is take all of the information that we're given. And, you know, we're we're active on the Milk the Funk and, and all of these different sources of great sour beer information out there. And what I strive to do is simply put that forward in the most educational way that I can do so. And the, the goal is to take our limited experience as home brewers and combine it with the massive and professional experience that's coming out of the the industry right now to to just try to set forth best practices in the easiest-to-understand format that we can manage.
2: Well, we're on the same team there, for sure. And we appreciate you guys taking time out to uh, talk to us tonight, and I encourage everyone to head over to sourbeerblog.com and check out the new article on sour beer blending. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us. Thanks, fellas.
8: Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
2: All right, Not really, what do you say? I think uh I think that's show number one. It feels like that's a good time to end I'd say so so we'll come we'll come back for uh the live listeners for you pod waivers you know I don't know who knows what's going on <laughs> with Justin <laughs> I mean there i don't know when the podcasts are coming out i literally have no idea that's maybe one of the most common questions we get actually that should be answered on the q a show next yeah uh,
3: what's up with justin
2: yeah <laughs> but we'll rip through what's a lot going of questions that man emotionally next uh <laughs> next show next hour uh with the rear barrel crew we're all gonna go uh get some more uh water i see a lot of water drinking now and maybe uh a sour beer or something so, or maybe uh, we'll
3: just can keep trying to kill that
2: keg of Pliny. The, let's the do public
3: should get none. Yeah. none. Yeah, Mike's Monty on has it. Has been thrown. We're drinking all the Pliny. Mike's on it.
2: <laughs> let's do it. But uh, big thanks to uh, Dr. Lambic and Kale, his uh, brewing apprentice, for joining us. His, his intern. <laughs> his brewing intern. Uh, no, really, seriously. You guys should go over and check it out. Really extensive article. He was downplaying his expertise. This article is rockin' good. The
3: man's a doctor. I don't We're, know how much you can really downplay your expertise. I think uh, we should launch we into
2: kind of we our blending process in the next show. So I uh, hope you guys will still be tuning in for the next time on The Sour. Hour.